We are in, I think, week five of our current teaching series called Running with the Giants. For those of you who are our guests, I'm Dave, the pastor here at Share City Church. Love what I do. We've been opening up every Sunday morning for the last, say, five weeks now with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's words that we find in the Bible. It says, verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the Bible is telling us here that there are people, a large number of people that have come before us that have lived out their life of faith admirably, heroically, dynamically. Dynamically, sure, okay. And we can, we can look to their lives as a witness, as an example that it can be done. And, and they finished out their days on earth in such a way, even many of them giving their lives. And we could look to them as an example. Now in this series, what we've been doing is we've been proposing, implementing some creative liberty, that we are standing in a stadium and we're looking out at the stands, right? And there in the stands are these this great crowd of witnesses, these people of the faith that have come before us, men and women. And what if some of them, one by one, were to come down onto the stadium field and run a lap with us? And as they were doing that, if they were to share a life principle, something that they experienced, a truth that they could share with us that would, we would relate to and apply to our lives that would greatly impact, change our lives, mostly draw us closer to God. Now, we've been learning about men and women in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the part of the Bible that, that is from Genesis to before Jesus was born. And one of the most popular characters in the Old Testament, maybe the most popular character in the Old Testament, is a man named Moses. And if there's a giant of faith in the Old Testament, it certainly is Moses. Now, what's interesting is that there are many different views of who Moses was, what he was, his kind of his personality, what he looked like. If you're 40 or older, you think Moses is like Charlton Heston, right? <laughs> buff, buff dude, right? You know, you know. I mean, he was a stud, right? Yeah, <laughs> sit next to your husband. You say Heston, <laughs> right? Listen, hey, Mother's Day is next week. Remember that. So look, you know, I mean, even with gray hair, the guy looked good, right? I wish I looked like that with gray hair, you know? Some guys are like, like Jim Murphy, you know? Now, now Jim's about like 15 years older than me. I think he's like 68, 69 years old, right? And you ever notice his hair doesn't gray? I'm thinking he's got some dye going on, right? I mean, he's got that nice blonde, like shiny thing going on. I'm really suspicious now after like six and a half years. Now, here's the thing. I don't know if his hair is dyed or not. Uh, I, I don't even know how old he is, to be honest with you. I know he's older than me, but I do know two things. One, today's his birthday, so give it up for Jim Murphy. We love Jim. And two, he's senile. So, so, so you don't want to be anywhere, but he's just not going to make it look good. Listen, I'm hanging out at Butler's Garage yesterday, okay? And I tell him, what Jim, guy from my church, kind of a leader in my church is going to come and pick me up. So he pulls up with his little Toyota. Karen gets the truck. He gets the Toyota. That's another story. <laughs> he gets out and he uh, approaches uh, Matt, Matt Butler, and he, 
says, listen, I've got a problem. Uh, can you show me where the fuse box is on the car? I've got to fix something. So he's telling the mechanic that he's going to fix something if he could just let him know where the fuse box is. You know, he knows the fuse box, right? And Matt's like, what's the problem? He's like, well, my uh, passenger window won't go down. If you know the Toyota, nobody wants to ride in it. <coughs> Nothing works. And especially as it gets hot, the passenger side window doesn't go down. And it's been like that for a while. So Matt walks over and he looks in. Five seconds pops out. He's like, um, child uh, protection lock or something like that. <laughs> Jim's like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, you had the child protection lock on the window. That's why it wasn't going down. See now, right? Okay. <clears throat> so I kind of just like turned away like, like maybe he's not really a leader in my church. I don't know. <laughs> so listen. So some of you view Moses as confident, strong-hearted, you know, today's those who are like 30, 30-something 30 and younger, Charlton Heston, Ten Commandments is like the silent movies to you, right? Okay. But when you hear Moses, you're thinking the prince of Egypt, young, fun-loving, fun-loving, fun-loving guy, right? Quick-witted, doesn't age throughout the movie. That's cool, right? So all these different depictions of Moses, they get the name right, they get the, right? They get the location right, Egypt, but often they're missing something called reality about really who Moses was. And the most reliable document we can turn to, to that is the Bible. And when you look at Moses, he's really not an exceptional person, meaning as far as, as far as physical stature, as far as uh, talent and capability. He, I don't know if he's that funny either. Probably wasn't. What you see is a very ordinary guy living an extraordinary life from beginning to end. A person that had emotional challenges, massive family issues, right? And even had a physical handicap, kind of like I do a bit. He had, he, he stuttered. I don't stutter anymore, but Moses, you know, had some speech issues. You see, in the Bible, what you see is a Moses that's realistic. And, he, and it's so believable in the whole mix. I know you get, well, you got the parting of the Red Sea, fire coming down. Is that believable? You know, in the context of it all, it actually is. Because there's some practical, supernatural things that you see in Moses' life that are just simply amazing, that how thousands of years ago that a, a, a person could write down and, and, and state the things that he did is just simply, it's unthinkable to me. And so if that's amazing, then, then I get that, I get everything else. I mean, you know, you, I'll just tell you, I think, how would I describe it? So let's just say one of the first moments of valuing women in literature, I mean valuing them, not as property, not as a sexual object, not as something to degrade or discharge, was, was, was Moses. I mean, I'm just gonna be a guy about this if that's okay. You know, next week's Mother's Day, I can't be a guy. I can, but you know what I mean? So you, you get the Ten Commandments, Moses up there on Mount Sinai. Now, this is the guy who just led over a million Jewish people out of slavery. I mean, for 400 years, they're in slavery. Them, they're parents, their grandparents, their great, great, on and on in slavery and bondage. And he has led them out to freedom over a million. And he goes up and so just so you know, religion is often not a good thing. And religion is often used to exploit people, and especially women and children, and especially women in sexual ways, you know, like five gods, this, that, and you know, how, how do you worship that God? Well, bring me your daughter, you know, or bring me whatever. Okay, it's ugly. It's how religion has been used throughout the, just the centuries, throughout the years. But we're not into religion, we're into relationship. And check this out. So Moses, come down now, that Moses, right? You know, looking good. <laughs> And he's the 
dude that just led these people out of slavery, a million, and there's a lot of women in that million, right? I mean, he can call the shots. Nobody's more powerful than him. Nobody's done what he's done. So I'm thinking, if he's the guys I know that I grew up with, he's like, line those ladies up, man. Here's what, here's what the, because if this is not of God and this is made up, I'm guessing that this dude is going to say, let's have him, right? I don't mean to offend. I just mean to, I'm trying to get to your intellect here. Think about it, but what does he do? He says, thou shalt not commit adultery. You can have one woman and one woman alone, and you will dedicate your life to that woman, and you will treat her. Wow, that's amazing to me. It really is. You're not going to exploit. You're not going to mistreat. No, you're going to have one wife before God. You have one God and one wife. To God be the glory, right? First time a woman is valued that I'm aware of, and I don't know all of ancient literature, but I'm telling you, it probably stands alone. And to me, that's amazing that a guy with so much power, right, thousands of years ago, considering how women were treated and how they were valued, would do something like that. So I say it wasn't Moses, but it was Moses inspired by God to come out and do something so unselfish and so amazing. Okay, so I went off track. Where was I? All right, so, so if Moses, a great witness of the faith, would have come out of the stands, and he would come alongside of us and say, okay, I'm going to take a lap around the track with you, and I'm going to have some things to say. Perhaps the first thing he would say is this. Each person's life story is written in risks, the ones taken and the ones avoided. And Moses might say, hey, I'm a lot different than most people think. There was a lot of pain, confusion, problems, I mean, like overwhelming problems. And he might even stop as we're running around the track, or if you're me, walking, and he might say, for those times when your problems overwhelm you, abandon safe and live by faith. You see, Moses, for much of his younger life, he had all these reasons to play it safe and remain in this place of luxury, as, as some of you might know. He grew up the son of Pharaoh, meaning the son of the king of Egypt. He was a prince, yet he chose not to let the status of, of prince define him. And he does this because Moses believed God was calling him to something greater. And there is something that was going inside of Moses, that was going on inside of Moses, that I believe goes on in each one of us that God has placed his hand on. I do believe that. And the question is, will we play it safe or will we abandon safe and live by faith this morning? So we're going to quickly look into Moses' life. So he's a young adult. He's a prince of Egypt. God has now stirred him. Like I believe and hope that he's going to stir you this morning. And he's calling him to something greater. Yes, greater than Prince of Egypt. Huh? And we know, now know it was greater than the Prince of Egypt. Huh? Someday Charlton Heston would play Moses, right? That's great. You laugh at that, please. Thank you. Listen, so he... <laughs> okay. So he's walking along one day, kind of touring the town, and he sees a Jewish man who's been labeled slave and functioning as a slave being beaten by an Egyptian soldier. And Moses, having previously been stirred by God now to step out of playing it safe and to now do something greater with his life, he, from that, attacks the guy, the soldier, to stop him, winds up killing him. 
And then he heads out of there, runs out of town, winds up kind of in the desert, hanging out with, uh, meets a gal, winds up hanging out with his father-in-law's clan, if you will. Let's jump in a little bit more specifics in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, then we'll go to 10. Just one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord, the term here used in the original language is believed to say Jesus, that, that Jesus, son of God, is, is manifesting. Not Jesus man, but Jesus God, deity, is manifesting himself there. And that angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Through the, though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. It wasn't surprising that the bush was on fire. It was a dry climate. What was surprising is that the bush was not consumed by the fire. And this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming back to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now you're probably thinking of what, like... Uh, What's the voice? What's the guy who did Roots? Alex Haley? Yeah, yeah, he's got that voice. Moses recognizes the presence of God. He, I do, I, so I, I'm, I'm, it's my assumption, my opinion that in all of this, Moses senses God is present. That because Moses is living out his life, he's sensitive to God. And Moses replies, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And then verse 10, now, so God says to Moses, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So now go, leave safe, and live by faith. Moses is hanging out, taking care of his flock, and now once again now, you know, things are kind of calm and comfortable, right? And, he, you know, he he's took off from Egypt, hanging out in the desert. It's not the palace, but it's calm, comfortable, running his father-in-law's business. He's got a wife. Things are good, comfortable. And now he's stirred again. And God's calling him once again. That same thing that stirred him to take action with that Egyptian soldier. And that calling will not relent. Listen, the Bible says God's calling is without repentance. And I'll say it does not relent either. Meaning you cannot turn from it forever. You cannot run from it. You cannot hide from it. That which is in you that is stirring, that is awakening you, that is prodding you, poking you, irritating you, unnerving you, inspiring you. This is God's call on your life. And I know that. I know it so deeply personally. I know because the Bible calls us and says it, but I know it deeply personally. I, my late teenage years and through my 20s, early on I had this wonderful experience with God so true, so meaningful, so real. And then I ran from that, that, that call, that stirring. And I wrestled with the things of God. 
I mean, it's like, you know, I've I been mean, in the strangest, weirdest places, and I would think of God, and, and, and sometimes I would think of it favorably, like if I felt, you know, kind of prompted to help somebody, but sometimes I wouldn't think of it favorably when the thoughts would become inconvenient and I would mock God and, and accuse God and make fun of God and, and grab some of these cliches that they toss against God that really simply are, are just arrogant and, and ignorant. And I don't disparage people who are educated or, or, or people's opinions, but honestly, if you understand history and, 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 and even if you don't believe there is a God of the scriptures, but if you just understand history, it's just not the case and not the truth. But, but I would go into that place and even sometimes just not, just not believing in God and being an atheist. And then at 25 years old, I don't know if I've ever told you this, maybe, and I'm not gonna be descriptive, but I will tell you that at 25 years old, I have this moment where I'm in a bar and uh, so, you know, I was in Hartford, Connecticut last night till like nearing midnight. And I got there earlier before this concert and, and I can't, you know, and it's like most of the restaurants, like a third of them, bars slash restaurants, you're like these Irish places. And I go in each one to sit down and eat, and each one is packed and you can't sit down. And finally, at the third one, I'm like, like is it a holiday or something? They're like, yeah, Cinco de Mayo. So I'm like, so when do Irish people like love Mexicans and like want to celebrate Cinco de Mayo? You guys will do anything to just go out and drink, man. I just, just got to toss that out there. All right, where was I? I'm 25. By the way, I'm pot Irish. Uh, so is Jeff Hollenbeck. He found out when he took one of those tests, by the way. <laughs> Woo! Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm 25. I'm in a bar. I'm hanging out. A, a melee, a, a, a brawl, if you will, ensues. Um, I wind up being seriously injured. Um, I have a gashes, not just lacerations, gashes in the front and back of my skull, and I have paralysis. I mean, like, done, paralyzed from the waist up, and I'm on the floor. And in that moment, the first thing that comes to my mind is God. And I start cursing God. I am lashing out at God in a vulgar way. I'm blaming God. I'm accusing God. I'm cursing God. I'm not like Moses is certain. He's like, here I am, God. I'm like tossing F-bombs at God. Horrible, terrible. And then eventually I come to my senses and, and I just start crying. And, and I just have this laying there, half paralyzed. I have this sincere, genuine, honest conversation with God. I don't know if I'd ever been that honest in my life up to that point and I'm 25 with myself or with anyone. And I just said, hey, I, and here's the point. I said, hey, I know you're there. I always did. I know you're there. I, I admit it. I know you're there. And I know I need you. I mean, I, meaning I, I, I know I, I've just, when I've been, I know what, with you, I'm better all the things that matter the most to me, when I sense I'm at peace, when I, it's, it's when I'm with you, thinking of you, when I was with you, I get that. I said, but I, I, I can't do it now. I said, and I know that you know that I can't do it now, and, and, and I'm paralyzed. I don't want to lie to you right now either. So I don't want to lie to you and say, I'm going to have this come to Jesus moment. I'm articulating that now. But I do know that I'm going to come. I get it. You are pursuing me. Why else? I can't get, I can't stop thinking of you. I know the time's going to come. I'm going to come to you. 
I know. You know, several minutes later, could have been 10, whatever, I, I began to regain feeling and I walked out of that, uh, that place. But I realized then, right then, I was, the next morning I woke up and the first thing I realized was, wow, okay, now you know, you know that God is with you and that you need to be with him and you do know that day's got to come sooner or later. Not because I made any vow or promise. No, just that I just know he's there. Listen up. And I knew then that there was a call of God. I didn't articulate it that way, but I knew God was calling me to him. Listen, there is a call of God on your life. God is, was pursuing me, God pursues you, God was pursuing Moses. So Moses had a decision to make. God is calling him and Moses decides to abandon safe and live by faith. We, we wanna do the same in our life. Maybe you're thinking, hey Dave, why would I want to abandon safe? Safe sounds nice. Well listen, you wanna abandon safe because it will keep you trapped in the past. The opening verse that we read, Hebrews 12, verse 1, part 1 of that verse says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Your past is a weight that hinders you from moving forward into life that God is calling you to. It's like an iron ball chained to your leg, right? You can move away from that iron ball, but only so far. You can only distance yourself so much. When you're trapped in your past, you can try and distance yourself from it, but you can only get so far away from it. It's dogging you, it's on you. And that was my story. That's how I lived out my life. I had suffered great pain and loss. My, my father, losing my father at an early age in my life, uh, abuse, rejection, I had, I had carried this stuff and, and I lived out my life from that. I wouldn't let that affect me. I would take care of myself. I, I lived out every single category of my life, if you can measure, came living out from my past. And you see, I was not willing to take a risk. What happened there when I'm laying there at 25 years old, I was not willing to take the risk at that time. I was not willing to step on from living out life and following that call. I was gonna stay trapped in my past. I was gonna stay safe. I was not gonna take the risk. And my life then would be defined by the risk I did not take. Listen, your past, your past does not have to be the dominant force in your life. It's always going to be there, but you don't have to be chained to it. And you can distance yourself from it every year you live, from the moment you yield, submit, surrender, embrace God's call on your life. As I have, every year I've lived, I further distance myself from that truth. It's influence on me. The only influence it has now is good. Even in the mess, I see redemption. Even now, I see things. Even today, as I'm talking about it, I'm in context, I'm moving away from it, right? To God be the glory. Listen, eventually I did submit to God, and I did take that risk at 28 years old, and it was a massive leap of faith, and I did that, that first step, by trusting in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and believing in Jesus Christ and who he was, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, and that he gave his life on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven, meaning I had a clean slate, I didn't have to be dogged and lived in that way, and that I would have a sense that God loved me and I could come before him 
and take on his mercy and his grace and have these open and honest conversations and dig into myself and live life from a place of courage, from a place of being brave. And I would know all that God had for me. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19, God talking to his people says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Wilderness, barren, no life, nothing going on, hopelessness. I am going to make a way. This is our God. This is the truth. This is what God is calling you to, to move on to something new, something greater, not to be trapped in your past, to take the risk, to abandon safe and live by faith. Moses had a chance to move forward. It was a risk. It wasn't safe, but it was the path to freedom from his past. Living in safe will not only keep you trapped in your past, but it will keep you satisfied with today. Come on now. Listen, in this country, in Christendom, this is really so much that happens. You get a taste of that freedom. You get a taste of the goodness of God. And, you know, you get satisfied. You get comfortable and I, and I said comfortable, not content. Content's okay. It's rooted in the thanksgiving and the praises of God and the peace with God. That's contentment. Bible affirms that. I'm talking about being comfortable. The danger with being comfortable and getting satisfied with where we are is we get complacent and stagnant in our lives before God and our life before God is not this brilliant God-glorifying life that just impresses and draws people around us and our marriages are vibrant. And, and, and it's just everything kind of gets like stale and tired and so much distant from what God called us to because we are playing it safe and we are satisfied with what we have today. Listen, you can take on a lot. And we, we're so knowledgeable, right? And I saw that. And actually, I saw this happen to me about probably a th about several years into the faith. This began to happen to me where you have this ton of, you start to have this ton of knowledge about the Bible, but you, but you haven't really, you haven't changed. You're not changing anymore. And you're actually not learning anything. Oh, you got a ton of knowledge and you're getting facts, but you're not learning anymore about God and what he's called you to. And then we see us as Christians living out this inconsistent life. So much inconsistent with, God, with the, God's core commandments and his core principles because we become satisfied with today. Listen, learn who God is and that he's a God that requires us to change because he's calling us to something greater. You see, Moses could have been satisfied with today. He could have stayed in Pharaoh's home. He could have hung out running his father-in-law's business and raising his livestock. But let's read Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Now, I'm sure that Moses had taken a stroll, as I said before, throughout the land, and I'm pretty confident that that was not the first time he saw a Jewish person labeled as a slave getting beaten up. I'm almost, I'm really confident. But this one time, that was it. It was different from all the other times because there was something going on inside of Moses. We could call it a holy discontent. 
God was stirring him, no more. Do not settle for this. Do not sear your conscience to this. Listen, there is something stirring inside of you that you are discontent with, a holy discontent. It's a righteous, good discontent. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to speak this way anymore. I don't want to be held back in this way anymore. I know and see myself do good. I've seen God do good to me. I've experienced it. That's what I want. I have a holy, God-glorifying discontent to live this way anymore, yes? And God is calling me to something greater. Be discontent with that which is not of God. Listen, it's, it's, it's hard. It kind of goes back to being trapped in your past and you're coming forward and then you're satisfied with today. And as soon as you get satisfied, you get stagnant. And guess what? You start leaning back to yesterday. And I have battled with that much of my walk with God. And I get better, but I go, you know, I, I used to kind of like two steps forward, one step back, four steps forward. But I'm always going through this. There was a critical time in my walk with God Man, I, I'm a minister. I'm a missionary now at this point. That happened kind of quickly, but, but it was amazing. What happened was just as I became a missionary, I was in a church, and I'm going to do this quickly. I had a confrontation with a pastor, a pastor who I, I really cared for. To this day, I would just tell you, let me honor him, that he was one of the most gracious, if not the most gracious minister persons I've ever met in my life. And yet we had come into conflict. I thought I was right. I, to this day, I still think I was right. It, what was happening was affecting my wife, um, not him personally, but people he had called in to minister were just not behaving in a scriptural way. And uh, I had harsh words with him. Uh, I was kind of carrying it for a while. I started speaking to some of the people around me in the church, and then I had some words with him. Well, it really became a big deal because now I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, Wow, I was, was I ordained? I think by that time, yeah, I, I'm ordained at that point, I think. And I'm a missionary, and he's a pastor, and I mean, people, heads of the denomination got involved. It was serious, serious matter. And in the end, we, I wrote him a letter of apology. He wrote me one. We, we had moved on from the church already. It was a very painful time in my life, very painful time in our ministry and in our marriage. Well, you know what? God is good, right? You know? He raises me up. We go out there. I speak in over 100 churches in New England. I raise thousands of dollars. Our ministry prospers. It's doing great. 50, 60, 70 kids from the projects and low-income areas on a Friday night. Wow, you know, we're in magazines, nationwide magazines. And I'm doing great. Two years. I see the minister. I see Bob Santisano, who I honor today. What a beautiful man. Wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Bob. And, you know, things are going great now. And we see, I say hi to him. We're cordial. He's a gentleman. I'm sort of a gentleman. And one day, Christy comes to me. I want to watch the time. Christy comes to me, and she says, Dave, I need you to do something for me. And I says, yeah, what's that? She goes, I need you to go and tell Bob Sandesano you love him. <laughs> I said, what? She said, I want you to go and tell Bob Sandesano you love him. I see, Chrissy, you're a dog. I love you, sweetie. I see, here's the thing. It's good. We get along now. We're cordial to each other. Uh, we actually were talking at a meeting recently. Uh, we're nice to each other. She said, I understand that, Dave, but listen, I was praying this morning fervently, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and as your wife, I'm asking you to go tell Bob Santa Santa you love him. So my wife doesn't ask me for much. 
She doesn't. And I know that God has just blessed her with wisdom and a gentleness and a godliness. She is a wonderful woman of God who, by the way, her birthday's today also. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I went to Bob. I was, I just was like, man, what am I going to do with this? I mean, um, I know I know my wife, she doesn't say much when she does speak. I know it's powerful. Plus, I have to sleep in the same bed with her. <laughs> so I go, and I walk in, and I sit down, and I say, oh, listen, um, hey, uh, I just, I want to say something. I, I really, I'd, I'd prefer you not reciprocate. I just want you to hear me out. Um, you know, I've been thinking, and, uh, you know, apart from all the cloud and all the mess and all the hurt and all that I'm carrying, uh, because that was me. I was Dave. That's how I protect myself with anger. I was not going to be rejected. I was not going to be angry. And when I walked in that office that day, I was kind of shaking because I knew I was going to take a risk. That this guy could slap me down. He could just like, you know, yeah, and I would be rejected. And I suffered from being rejected. I suffered from loss. And, and I did love this man deeply. And I thought he had done that to me. And when I walked in there, I... And I had believed that I don't need him anymore and I don't need the relationship because I'm satisfied with today. Things are going good. And now to turn around and think I would need him and he would mean something to me, it was a huge risk for me emotionally. But I walked in there and I sat down. I said what I said in the introductory to the conversation and then I looked at him and I said, um, Pastor Bob, I said, I, I, uh, I love you, I do. I always have loved you and I love you. And man, this guy turned white like a ghost. And he closed his eyes and we sat there for like a few minutes, quiet. And then he looked at me and he just, with tears in his eyes, he just said, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. I got up, I hugged him, and I walked out. And man, I felt so free when I walked out of that church. I felt so incredible. I knew God. This was so much better than the nonsense I was carrying. Take the risk. Leave safe. Don't be satisfied with today. Follow the call of God on your life, in relationships, in your future. Listen, so safe keeps you trapped in yesterday. It's going to keep you satisfied with today, which is very dangerous to us as believers. You might not recognize that. I didn't. Thank God for my wife. But safe also can make you afraid of tomorrow. See, God's calling you to something greater. I really believe that. I've lived that. I've seen that in so many of you. And it's Usually, if he's calling you to something greater, it's beyond the capacity you currently have. I did not have the capacity to do, I never thought I would have the capacity to do something like that. It wasn't even on my radar to consider doing that. And when God calls you, he's calling you to a greater capacity because it's not you, it's him. It's him working in you. When I sat there, when I walked through that door of that church, I had now left Dave and I had embraced God's call and the Holy Spirit that was with me. I was not alone. God was guiding me, carrying me, facilitating me, inspiring me. God was with me. And Moses comes to that point, you know, where, where, where Moses is saying, hey, when God calls Moses, he's like, listen, you know, I tried to do this. I tried to step in. I got stirred, and I, I wound up killing somebody, you know? <laughs> I ran, and then I ran, and then I hid, and not to mention everything else that's going on and all my other inabilities and problems. And look what God says to Moses in chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, upon hearing of the depth of God's call on his life. Exodus 4, 13 
But again, Moses pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. But Moses saying, God, just, I, I don't want to do this. God, God, I send anyone else. Have you ever done that? I've done it. Moses did it. Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Listen, safe will keep you from stepping out or taking that risk. And the risk you take will so much define your life as it has mine. Right? Risk, risk, risk. Let, let, I want to watch the time. Yesterday, uh, I dropped off my boy, Justin, talked about to take his um, SAT exam. He's uh, finishing up his junior year now, and he's going to take his SAT. So I drop him over to high school, and I, I get out of the car. We walk to the main entrance of the school. I give him a hug, and he stops, and he looks at me. He's like, whoa. I was a what? So you got to say, Justin's been homeschooled since he's four years old. And he, he looks at me, and he says, uh, wow. He goes, um, I think this is the first time I'm taking a test in a classroom. <laughs> I was like, whoa, man. Talk about jumping in, right? <laughs> no, like five-minute quiz, a five-hour SAT exam. I go, yeah, I guess we didn't realize we lined it up that way, right? And, you know, Justin could have just said, hey, man, I, I don't want to do this. He could have just sat tight. Uh, SAT is not commonly taken by homeschoolers. But you know what? Honestly, without all the details, he feels God is calling him to, without the specifics, and he doesn't know them, that just God's calling him to make a difference in this world, that God's calling him to make a difference in people's lives, that God's calling him to stand for something he believes in, and, and that possibly college could be required, and, and the SATs needed, so he takes this big step, right? He, he abandons safe, and he takes a risk, and he goes and sits there, possibly, maybe, to get humiliated, right? He's never taken anything like this, you know, meaning he started practicing, but to walk into that environment. He made it through, we don't know his score, but we know he made it through. We, uh, he actually did the essay, which is a volunteer part. He finished that as well. So he made it through, he got through the essays, to God be the glory. He came out feeling better about who he was because he took the risk, right? Take the plunge today. God's way is better. Abandon safe and live by faith. That's what Moses would tell us if he came down from that crowd, if you will. So we're running that lap with Moses, and he said, okay, i got to tell you a few more things, and I'm going to run rattle through this quickly. He says, to live by faith, recognize that God is at work in you. Like I said before, God is working in you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. Meaning whatever anybody's saying, they said there's something special in this young man. God is in him. God is working in him. And that was always the case throughout Moses' life. God was working in his life. He's working in your life. God is not calling you to something and then sending you out. God is working, is with you, working in your life. You're not alone. Listen, next thing Moses says is, hey, if you want to live by faith, you must refuse to be defined by anything but God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the feeding pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He fixed his eyes on Jesus. He fixed his eyes on God. He refused to be defined by anything but his faith in God and God's call on his life. Throw off the identity you think you have and that you've created and that you might live for. Throw off any label that you have. 
God loves you. He wants to put a new label on your heart and it's not based on your past. It's not based on what you think you've accomplished today, but it is based on God's love for you and Jesus giving his life on the cross for you and for what he has called you to do. Listen, today step out and live by faith. And the last thing is as we come to the end of the lap now, we're coming to the end of the lap. Moses is about to head back into the stands. And he says, look, before I leave you, one more thing I want to tell you. To live by faith impacts others around you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28 through 29. It says, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. Here's the thing, when you abandon safe and live by faith, somewhere, somehow, well, somewhere, you are gonna change a person's life. You're gonna change their life. You're gonna change their eternity, right? Because God is working on your behalf. Moses could never have imagined the impact his life would have on the history of this world, right? But Moses was obedient. He placed the blood on the doors. What a risk. Moses. Stuck his rod in that sea, what a risk. Moses stepped out from being that prince, what a risk. Moses left the comfort of his father's confines, father-in-law's confines, what a risk. And he just kept going on, what a risk. I stepped out at 28 years of old and I, it was a huge risk. It was a huge risk and little did I know that me, who did not have a father growing up till I was probably eight, nine years old, who came from poverty, that one day, who I, I, I did very poorly in school, very poorly educated, was expelled from school, put out entirely from school, never graduated from high school. That one day, from that, I, happily married, would drive my son and drop him off to take his SAT. How cool is that, right? Yeah. And that's because at 28 years old, I chose to take a risk. And when I was doing that, God knew. He knew. He knew I'd have that joy and that gladness as I drove out away, saying, look what God has done, right? Take the risk, abandon safe, and live by faith. Will you do that today? And if you do that right now, don't look at the uncertainties or the fears. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the, the author and finisher of your faith, that he is with you. And when you do that, begin to think of how you're going to wonderfully and positively impact people around you. Will you stand? Father, we're so grateful for this morning that you have, mercy, in, with such mercy, awakened us to your presence, that you draw us closer to you. Lord, that you are stirring in us right now a calling, O oh God, to live for a greater life, O oh God to impact people's lives, oh God, to not be stuck in our past, not be satisfied with today, oh God. Lord, we love you. Not to live in fear as we think of the future, oh God, but to just stop right now, to pause, and to just sense you stirring us, you putting your truth into our hearts and minds, you calling us to something greater. Father, I talk to the one in here now, Perhaps they have navigated life as I have, questioning, wondering, arguing, disputing. But now today, oh God, they, they're, they're going to make that peace with you.
They are going to just acknowledge your son, Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for them, that they could have this moment, that they could have a way, that they could have eternity, that they could have peace with you. And right now, they would ask forgiveness, O oh God, for their sins, O oh God. Those things they've done when they were turned away from you, O oh God, but in this moment that they would turn their hearts to you right now, and they would rejoice and thank you, God, and, and just love you right now and feel you within them, O oh God. And I pray for those who are here, all right, that they would, no one in here would be satisfied with today, that they would feel strength and power rise up in them, no matter what's going on, no matter what desert they might be in right now, oh God, no matter how dry it might seem in their life, that right now, oh God, you would consume them, a fire would burn within them, oh God, and they would feel empowered, oh God, to take the risk, to step out, to abandon safe and live by faith in Jesus' name, amen.